Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Next Level Christianity series, which walks through the book of Philippians, seeing how God wants us to grow to the next level. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Philippians chapter 4, when you were a kid, did, um, did your parents ever teach you three magical words? You probably did. You probably just don't even know it. Most parents, when, uh, when your kids are young, you try to teach them three words, three things that they can say that are really going to help their life out. You teach your kids when they're young to say, please, and then you teach them to say, thank you. Please and thank you. Three magical words that people say, hey, that's going to, I don't know what you're laughing at, mom, but I can't look at you right now. Three magical words that people teach you, never mind, uh, that, that your parents teach you really just to help you understand that if you can get these words down, man, a lot's going to happen for you in life, right? Politeness, being able to, uh, to be kind to others. And when you ask for something, you say, please. When you get something, say thank you. I know when our kids were real little, teaching them to say thank you was sometimes kind of frustrating. And it was frustrating because you know, you, you give them something, they've asked, and you give them something, and then you kind of stand there. You know, you've been working with them, and you give it to them, and they take it. And then it's just a staring contest. And after a few minutes, they're like, what? What did I do? And then maybe you're a dad like me, and you'll reach out, and you'll, you'll take what you gave them. And then you see that face go, what? And pretty soon, after a while, it clicks. And they go, oh, thank you. Right, because we know that we're teaching that, they get that. But in life, sometimes we say thank you just out of a common courtesy. We don't really even mean it. We don't really think about it. We just say, oh, thank you, thank you. It's just kind of a, a thing we say. Tonight, we're going to come to Philippians chapter number four, and what I find is I find Paul giving not a courtesy thank you, but a sincere thank you. A sincere, you have been a blessing to me. And there's a number of lessons that we're going to learn tonight in this thank you from Paul. And so take your Bibles, and let's go to Philippians chapter four. And let's turn to, uh, to verse number 10. Philippians chapter four and verse number 10. And we're gonna read these verses here. Philippians chapter four and verse number 10. The word of God says this. It says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want. Where'd Robert go? Come fix this. Uh, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done, 
that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Verse 18. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which ye were the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in all in glory by Christ Jesus. I love these verses. I find in them Paul simply giving the believers at Philippi a, you've been a blessing to me and I wanna thank you. But wrapped up in this, I see some great lessons that Paul speaks about. And so let's, uh, let's pray and then let's get into the thank yous that Paul gives and some lessons we can learn. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take a minute and, and just uh, ask the Lord. Ask the Lord to speak to you. You can pray something simple. If God, please speak to me. God, please speak to me. And then make the decision tonight, Lord, I'm listening to your spirit. And as you speak to me, I wanna respond to you. Dear Lord, thank you for the word of God and thank you for how you use it to work in our lives and to help us. And Lord, I pray that you would help it to be alive and active in our hearts tonight. Lord, I pray that as we go through the message that we would be challenged or that your word would uh, work in us and that we would leave tonight understanding uh, thoughts about contentment and thoughts about giving and Father, recognizing that when we, uh, when we partner with you, just as we saw this morning when we allow you into our life and our plans, that you work, that when we partner with you, that you work uh, in a great way. And Lord, I love you. Thanks for loving us. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to Philippians chapter number four, there's a number of thoughts that I find as we look at Paul giving this thank you to the church at Philippi. I want us to notice, first of all tonight, what I'm calling an education in contentment, an education in contentment or some instruction in contentment. What we'll see in a few minutes is that Paul, again, he's thanking the believers for giving to him. Uh, we're going to discover that they were a huge part of the ministry and the, the traveling preaching ministry that Paul had. And right in the middle of his thoughts to them, he writes some words that I think are wise for us to heed to. It's verse number 11 down through verse number 13 where Paul writes this, not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things I am instructed both to be uh, full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. In these verses, basically we're reading Paul here saying to the believers, hey, while I give thanks to you, I want you to know that I'm not saying that uh, he, excuse me, let me look at my notes. I hate when I confuse myself. Oh, 
He's saying this, I want you to know that I'm not speaking because of some underlying desire for monetary gain. Hey, I'm not giving you a thank you because I want you to keep giving so that I can get rich. No, instead, Paul comes back and he says, listen, I'm thanking you, but you need to know that beneath all of it is contentment. If you give, I'm content. If you don't give, I'm content. If my needs are met, I'm content. If my needs are not met, I'm content. And the word content here just simply means to be, to be satisfied, to be the phrase we would use, to be at peace, to be content, to be satisfied with what you have. He's simply saying, hey, I want you to know that I am content with little and I am content with much. And he's quick to let his friends know, I'm not complaining that you haven't given up or I'm not saying you've given over abundance. I'm just simply saying I'm content. Here's what Paul is helping us with. He's helping us understand that his happiness is not dependent upon circumstances. His happiness is not dependent. His satisfaction is not dependent upon things. His joy is from something deeper, something apart from either poverty or prosperity. When you look at our society, I think every one of us would agree that most people base their contentment upon where they're at financially. Most of our culture does that. And I think that it's sad to say, but many Christians do that as well. Many Christians, we gauge our contentment, our satisfaction in life based upon circumstances or material belongings. We know this to be true because even John wrote about it to the book of, uh, in Revelation. Revelation chapter three, remember what he said to one of the churches. He said, I know thy works. Of course, the Lord speaking through John to this church, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Well, why? Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. In these verses, Paul is simply saying in, in Philippians, he's, he's saying the opposite of what we would find of the church in, in Revelation. He's saying, hey, I find my contentment in the Lord Jesus Christ. I find my contentment regardless of circumstances, regardless of status, regardless of my wealth. And in verse number 12, of our passage, Paul is simply saying, <clears throat> he's saying, I know how to be abased, I know how to be poor, and I know how to have a lot, and in both of those places, I can still be content. And then he goes on to verse number 13. Verse number 13, a verse often misused and misquoted. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now, in the context uh, Paul is simply saying, hey, it's the power of Christ that gives me spiritual contentment. He's saying, really, all I need is Jesus to accomplish my plans. Many of us, we know this verse, but we miss the context surrounding it. I mean, this verse is not about uh, me accomplishing some great thing or some many sports athletes and people uh, of, uh, you know, that nature will try to say, oh, I can do all, you know, I'm, I'm a victorious athlete because I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me and it's his strength and all that. I understand the sentiment behind that and maybe, uh, maybe a, principle, a principle from the Bible about, you know, God empowering us and giving us skills, but that's not what this verse is saying. 
That's not what this verse is saying. No, what Paul is simply saying is, hey, God has helped me and God has empowered my contentment. If I'm poor, I can be content because I have Jesus. If I'm rich, I can be content because I have Christ. The whole context of Philippians chapter four, verse 11 through 13 is simply contentment. Hey, I know contentment. One man said it this way, we need his strength to teach us to be content in every condition. Being content, whether we're poor or rich, is not something that we can manufacture. Because contentment, again, it can't come from us. It can't come from circumstances or status or wealth or any of that. No, true contentment can only come in that relationship and that empowerment given to us by God. It's only through Christ that we can be content. Something interesting about this passage and about Philippians 4.13, as Paul speaks about contentment and he speaks about I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I'll give you a quick Greek lesson. In Greek, the phrasing that's used in verse number 13 is spoken as a continual action. So it's as if Paul is saying, through Christ, who is continually strengthening me and does continually strengthen me, It is a constant and continual renewing strength. Do you get the idea? That's the thought there. It's just, hey, listen, his strength is always going to be active in my life. And I can do all things. I can be content whether it's poor or rich. I don't need satisfaction from any other source. I have Christ. I want to ask you a question this evening. How are you with contentment? How are you with that spirit of being satisfied? The word content, it means satisfied enough or sufficed. In this passage, I believe the context that Paul is speaking specifically about stuff, belongings, and trials. Here we have somebody, and I want you to think about it tonight. Paul writing Philippians again, and we brought this up throughout the the series, that Paul is sitting in a jail cell, not knowing if the next knock at the door will be his last time to exit because of execution coming. Like he really, we know, we know the story, we, we know because of what took place and we can put pieces together that Paul probably got out one more time and, and traveled a little bit more, but Paul didn't know that. He didn't know that was coming. And so yet, here's somebody who, to us, we would use the phrase, he's, he's on his deathbed. He's on death row. He, he's not going to get out. He doesn't know what's taking place. And yet, what does he do? He says, hey, I've learned in whatsoever state I am. And the state he's talking about is not Texas or Kansas or Washington. He's saying, hey, whatever stage of life I'm in, whatever status, rich, poor, free, slave, prison, Whatever it is, I'm content. Man, what a convicting thought. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes my contentment doesn't just come like that. And here's Paul saying, hey, I I can be content. Why? Because I find that contentment through the power of the Lord. 
I see Paul, as he gives this thank you, he speaks about this education and contentment. But I want you to notice, secondly, that Paul talks about extravagant giving. This is where the thank you comes in. He thanks them for their extravagant giving. Notice how Paul thanks them a couple of times in this passage, Philippians chapter four and verse number 10. Paul said this, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Verse 14 through 16, it continues. Notwithstanding, ye have well done, Ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, hey, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only, you, you're the only ones who did that. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again to my necessity. I'm not gonna take long to go through all of the history of this, but just be reminded of a few things that Paul He was a traveling church planter. Many would say Paul was the very first missionary in the sense of traveling around, but I believe that Paul is really the first biblical evangelist going and starting churches and preaching in a a town until he builds a church, and then he would leave somebody there to help build that church, and Paul would move on. He would be in some places for a few weeks or months. Other places, he'd be for a few years, and so Paul did that. Now, if you know Paul's life, then you know that Paul was a tent maker. He, he had a job, he had a secular job that he used to try to support himself as he traveled. But that tent making was not going to be able to supply for his needs and the needs of the churches that he was starting. No, what Paul needed, and it's a very interesting study, what Paul needed was other churches giving by faith. It's like, Faith missions giving, grace giving, whatever you want to call it. They gave to the work that Paul was doing to help him accomplish what God had called him to. I mean, this is the first thing of faith promise or of of grace giving or of missions giving. That's what this church was involved in. And here's, here's you, yeah, here you have Paul. I'm I'm so tongue-tied, tongue-tied tonight. It's bad. Here you have Paul saying, hey, listen, uh, when I first started, nobody, nobody out there stayed connected and gave except for you. You guys recognize that, that I had a need. And so here's this church. And in these verses, verse 10 and then verse 14 through 16, these verses, Paul is saying, hey, you were careful You deeply cared about my well-being and you gave to help the ministry out. You gave to help advance God's work moving forward. I'd say that, man, what a focused church. This church was focused. They saw the need and they decided to do something about it. They understood the, the gravity of what Paul was doing and they knew that he needed their help if he was going to accomplish anything. Paul knew that it was going to be because of people partnering with him. God had laid it on their hearts to help him and they stepped out by faith 
And Paul said, I know that you wanted, to, there were even times you wanted to give, but you lacked opportunity. There wasn't a convenient way to get it to me. There wasn't a way uh, for me to get that money from you or for you to come see me. And we don't know what the lack of opportunity was, but Paul is saying, hey, listen, I know that your heart was to give and you proved it. And the great thing is if you look at verse number uh, 16, he said, for even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. What's that mean? Hey, you guys just kept sending help. You kept sending and being a blessing towards me. I want to look at this a couple of different ways tonight before we move on, but I want to say these believers, they're a great example of what it means to be extravagant givers. Givers that just give and just keep giving. Once and again, it just keeps going. You know what I believe God does with extravagant givers? I believe that God uses extravagant givers as filters rather than sponges. You see, sponges only give when they're squeezed, right? And sometimes God does that to us, doesn't he? Man, sometimes God's like, hey, you've been a little, you know, with this and you're, I'm gonna, you, you've been a little greedy here and God says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna squeeze this out of you and it might, it might not, it's not an offering or anything like that. It's the Lord saying, hey, you have not been keeping me first. You haven't been a part of, you haven't been giving. You haven't been investing in other people and there's times that we become a sponge. But what God does is God uses extravagant givers. Well, why? And I'm not just talking about an offering. We're gonna talk about this. God wants to give through us to other people. And as we continue to give, you know what God does? He keeps giving. He always gives. He always gives. I do think this does apply to giving through a local church. We talked about that even this morning. I think that God wants us to partner in our tie that goes to pay the bills and pay the lights and different things like that. But then above that is our missions giving or our building giving or special needs giving like the blues that we mentioned this morning, that type of stuff. And I believe God blesses us when we are extravagant in giving that. Not because God's like, oh no, I'm broke. What am I gonna do? <laughs> Not because that, but because God's saying, hey, prove me, test me and, and watch what I can do when you partner with me. And when we give, Man, God blesses and gives through us. But I want you to understand that there are other times in the week that God wants to give through us, and it's not even financially. God wants to give a word of encouragement through you to somebody else, and yet we don't speak because of fear, or we don't speak because uh, we, don't, we don't know what their reaction's going to be. And I just want us to understand that extravagant giving is not just financial. Even though in the passage, that's the main thought. Hey, you guys gave to me once and again, and I believe it was financial. But I also believe that this church was a huge encouragement to Paul. And God just continually filtered giving through this church. And they were, a, they were an extravagant giving church. And I think that you and I need to work at being an extravagant giving Christian, whether that's in church with the offering and missions and different things like that, or if that's just out and about in the community, finding ways to give of my life to be a blessing and an encouragement to other people. I see Paul in this message as he's kind of wrapping up his letter. He wants to give them a thank you. And he says, hey, I just wanna, I wanna thank you for some things, but I'm not writing this because I'm not content. No, 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 I've had a great education in contentment. I've learned at whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. 
He talks about contentment. He talks about extravagant giving. But notice three, he talks about an eternal investment. An, an eternal investment. As he thanks them for this extravagant giving, he reminds them that their giving is actually an eternal investment. Notice verse number 17. Paul says this. Not because I desire a gift, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. Oh, listen, don't miss these verses tonight when we look within the context of giving financially. Here's Paul saying, I'm not saying this because I want you to keep giving. No, I'm, I'm saying this because I want you to know that your giving does far more than you think. Your giving that you sent with Epaphroditus, he says, hey, it's actually going to be rewarded on your heavenly account. It's fruit on your account in heaven. Hey, it is something that you are laying up a treasure in heaven. You see, when you give to the work of the ministry, it's not just you and Paul writing this to them. Hey, when you give, it's not just you giving to Paul. It's not just you giving to church planting. No, when you give to the work of the ministry, you are giving to the Lord. And you know what your offering is? It is a sweet-smelling savor, a well-pleasing gift in the sight of God. Literally, that means it's a beautiful fragrance that is acceptable and completely pleasing to the Lord. You know what Paul's doing? He's saying, hey, your giving is an investment into eternity. Your giving will live further than this life. He's really leaning into a principle that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount about halfway through in Matthew chapter 6, Verse 19 through 21, where Jesus said these words, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Man, this is a principle that Jesus taught. And here, Paul is echoing it, simply saying, hey, when you give, when you give financially to the work of God, specifically, that's what he's talking about. As you give financially to the work of God, God is going to take that and you are actually investing into eternity, not just into a church plant, not just into a traveling preacher, not just into a missionary. No, you are investing into eternity. And hey, by the way, what Jesus said, where your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be. What's important, what's, important, uh, what's important to you, your treasure is going to follow it. And Paul wanted these believers to recognize that as they, as they gave to him, the work that he was co accomplishing was work that was going on their account. They were making an eternal investment that would outweigh this life. What a great principle for us to know. That when we give, we are making an eternal investment. And that truth, it still applies today. And it, it applies to you and I in January of 2021. 
The same principle that Jesus taught, the same principle that, that Paul thanked them for and reminded them of, the fact that when we give towards the work of the Lord, we are not giving towards a mission or uh, we're not giving towards a person. We're not giving towards Jonathan Ballou and the project there. We're not giving our, our, our building fund. We're not giving that money towards just a building in Moses Lake or, or towards a, a staff salary. We're not giving towards that. No, we're giving for eternity. And the great thing is when we give, God takes that gift and he does more than we could ever do with it. Man, who would have, who would have thought? I mean, think about it now. If we could bring the leadership up of every church that Paul started, all right, every church, and there's multiples of them, but let's say we could bring up the leaders of the, the church at Thessalonica, and the leader of the church of Colossae, and the leader of the church of Philippi, and the leader of the church of Ephesus, and the, the leader of the church of Berea, and the leaders of the church of Laodicea. And the, man, go through all those places where Paul was and where he started churches. I mean, so many of them. Just go read the book of Acts. If we could, right now, if we could bring all of them up and interview them, and we could ask them, hey, knowing what you know now about the life of Paul, right? Because now... Those believers that, man, they're in heaven. They know the impact Paul made. They know that literally you and I, to this day, we are still reaping the harvest of Paul's ministry upon this earth. If we could pull them up and we could ask them, hey, knowing what you know now, how much more would you have partnered with Paul? What do you think they would say? Do you think the church at Philippi, do you think that leadership, do you think Epaphroditus, who I believe was one of the pastors of the church at Philippi, do you think he would stand up and go, no, I regret every dime? Man, I, honestly, honestly, I, I wish I would have kept back so I could have had an extra Starbucks. No, 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 I, I wish I could have kept back so that I could have gone on that extra three days of vacation. Do you think they would do that or do you think they would have said, man, knowing what I know now, I would have asked God to just filter anything through me. I would have asked God, God, just help me to be a part of that. Why? Because God took what we did. God took what we at the church at Philippi, we, we, gave, we gave and we gave just to meet his needs. Like we, I mean, he was just somebody special to us and somebody that was a blessing to us. And they, they didn't give because they're thinking, you know, we hope this goes out to eternity. They gave because they just saw a need and, and stepped up to the plate. But knowing what they know now, you know what they'd say? Man, we realize that that investment God used, that equivalent to nowadays, probably a few hundred dollars. Maybe a couple thousand dollars. And God used that to reap eternal investments and to harvest souls coming to know Christ as Savior for centuries. Yeah. Man, what an incredible, what an incredible investment. I like investments. <coughs> I'm not a huge investor, but I the last week or two weeks ago when we had uh, Nathaniel Skelly with us and we're I, I'm talking through investments with him and and I, I, like, I like that type of thinking. But you know what? I don't want to be involved in an investment when I'm not going to get anything back. 
Here's what Paul is saying. When you give to the work of God, it's the best investment you could ever make because now you're just laying up treasure in heaven. Man, what a truth. What a truth. What a help tonight, understanding that when we say, well, you know, I'm just tithing. Well, I'm just giving this missions commitment. Well, I'm just gonna be one of those uh, 500. I'm gonna give that $1,000. God says, no, no, it's not that simple. No, you're not just doing that $1,000. No, I'm gonna use that $1,000. And there's about three people over here that are gonna trust Christ. There's eight people over here gonna trust Christ because of that $1,000. There's 50 people. Hey, in 30 years from now, when Moses Lake Baptist Church is uh, entering its 40th year of ministry, and if I'm still, still the pastor and I'm still around, I hope that we'd be able to look back and say every dime we gave was worth it. Every penny, it was worth it. Why? Because souls were on the line and an eternal investment was being made. And I love, I love the thought. We could stay on it for a long time tonight, but we won't. Here's Paul, he's giving them a thank you. Hey, I just wanna thank you, thank you for giving. I'm not saying this because I want money. I'm saying it because I've learned to be content, but you've been extravagant in your giving. You've made eternal investments. But then he reminds them of what we're calling an expected provision. An expected provision. Notice Philippians chapter four and verse number 19. Excuse me. Philippians chapter four and verse number 19, here's what Paul says. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You know, Paul says as he <clears throat> brings this to a close on this, this whole letter, he reminds them of the provision of God. Hey, as you give, you can know and you can trust that God will always take care of your need. This is not a prosperity gospel message. This is not Paul saying, all right, keep giving to me and God will bless you. No, this is Paul saying, hey, as you give by faith, God will take care of your needs. I want you to notice, and I, I don't think you can dig way into it, but it's just something that's interesting. The word need is singular. The word riches is plural leaving the connotation and the context that, hey, when, when things come up in your life, God has way more to take care of it than you know about. It's the shovel principle. My dad taught it to us when we were real little. The shovel principle. I could have a little hand shovel at the beach, and we'd go to the beach often. Dad grew up surfing, so on vacations, we would go to the beach and hang out, and I'd go to the beach and have a hand shovel. I, I could do some damage with that hand shovel. I could dig a hole. I could bury, hopefully, one of my sisters. You know, I could do something. But you know what? When dad brought a shovel, it wasn't usually a little hand shovel. It was a bigger shovel that dad could get down. And you know what? Dad's shovel was always bigger than my little hand shovel. It's the shovel concept. God's shovel is always bigger than yours. Man, God, your need does not compare to his riches. And that's the principle Paul is getting off. Hey, listen, God, he will take care of you. Just keep, just keep being involved in it. I believe 
I believe Paul truly thought this was going to be the last time he would ever communicate with the church of Philippi. And I think he's trying to leave them with this principle. I'm about to go. Keep giving. Just because I'm gone, don't, don't stop giving to the work of God. Just because I'm leaving doesn't mean this ministry is stopping the, the ministry of church planting. And man, what Paul started has continued through centuries. And he's telling the church at Philippi, hey, when you partner with God, God is always a better giver than you are. And God will supply your need according to his riches. He'll always go above and beyond in my life. I'll tell you tonight that when you and I choose to give out of faith, God will bring blessings along all of the time to prove himself. It may not be a blessing like we think we should get it. You know, we're, we're thinking sometimes, all right, great. So if I give, then I'm gonna open my mailbox and there's gonna be a, you know, an envelope with cash and no name. And it's just, that's how God's gonna bless me. I love what our, our friend Tom Lancaster said years ago. It stuck with me ever since then. He talked about giving. He said, I can, I don't, he, he said, I don't think I can prove this in a court of law, but I believe the principle to be true that a tithing family's refrigerator runs longer than a non-tithing family's refrigerator. And a missions giving family's car goes further than a non-missions giving family's car. And a building ministry, and he listed all these things, and he said, all I'm simply saying is the blessings are often unseen, but we can know they are always there. What a great truth. The blessings may remain unseen, but they're always gonna be there. I think we're gonna be surprised when we get to heaven and we go, oh, oh, wow, God, that was you? Oh, wow, God, you did. Wow, Lord, I can't believe why would we say that? Because God always is giving. Think of all the promises and principles that we have in scripture about the word of God or about giving. Luke 6, 38, give and it shall be given unto you. Press down, uh, good measure pressed down and shaken together and running over shall man give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Malachi 3.10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up you, open up you the uh, windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 8 and 9, I speak not by commandment, but by, the, by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. All of these principles, they just go on and on in scriptures that as we give, man, God gives. And we have the greatest example. That's 2 Corinthians right here. We got the greatest example in Jesus Christ. Man, we can give because he gave and he made himself, though he was rich, he became poor for our sake so that, so that we could be made rich. And all of it. Is because of that concept of love. I think sometimes you and I, we have the mindset of, well, you know, I, I don't think I can afford to give. I can't afford to give of my offering. I can't afford to give of my time. I can't afford to give of my abilities. I want to give you a quote my dad used to say. We can't afford not to give. We can't afford not to give. Man, there's so much more on the line 
than just what we think. God promises that as we seek the furtherance of his kingdom, as we keep him first in every area of our life, that he will provide. I love that all of this is wrapped up in a simple thank you from Paul. It's not just, oh, hey, hey, thanks, you've been a blessing. It's, hey, you guys have been extravagant givers. I'm not saying this so you'll keep giving so I can be rich. I'm saying it because I've learned to be content, but I want you to know that your investment goes way beyond you. Oh, and by the way, God will always take care of you. This might be the last time I talk to you. God will always take care of you. So tonight, I wanna give us just a simple challenge to walk away with. As we look at this thank you from Paul, I think there's a simple thought we could, we could have, and it's this. Be content and give as you have opportunity. Learn to be content and give when opportunities come up. Why? Because I'm making an eternal investment. God will take care of everything else. God will meet my need. And I'm not just talking about an offering. And I'm talking about this week. You have opportunity to be an encouragement to somebody. Give of your time to invest in someone. Give of your words to speak kindness. Give of your thoughts to build somebody up. Man, give of your time to go serve a neighbor or to, to, to go help a, a widow that's close by or I don't know what it would be. But this week, as we have opportunity to give to people, man, let's do it. Why? Even those investments go further than we know. And you know what? We do have what Paul wrote about in Corinthians. We have the greatest example of a giver is Jesus Christ. He, out of love, he gave. And I hope tonight that you know Christ as your Savior, but I hope also that if you do know Christ, that tonight we would follow his example and that we, because of love, would give back to him. And whenever he asks us to give of our time, of our words, of our finances, that we would just be a filter allowing that to come right through us to be a blessing to others, knowing that this is making an eternal investment and God will always provide. I'd like to have every head bowed, every eye closed. And tonight as we uh, wrap the service up, I wanna ask you again a couple of questions. Number one, how's that spirit of contentment in your life? How's that spirit of contentment in your life? Maybe you would look at, at your life, and you'd say, you know what? My contentment's been based on my status. It's been based on my finances. My contentment lately has been based, based in the, the political world. It's been based in my, my uh, savings, my family, whatever it may be. Tonight, would you just come back to the place where you say, God, help me be content in you. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.